Well, like we say, the right house for the right person. Listen, it's time I let you in on a little secret, Marge. The right house is the house that's for sale. The right person is anyone. But all I did was tell the truth. Of course you did. But there's the truth and the truth. Let me show you. It's awfully small. I'd say it's awfully cozy. That's dilapidated. Rustic. That house is on fire. Motivated seller. Welcome to the 94th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. I'm your host, Eric Roark, and today's episode is all about the topic of truth. Now, this topic has come up quite a bit on past episodes, and back in the summer series, Nietzsche's ideas about truth were given a close look, but the complexities with talking about truth um, have usually just led me to make some very quick appeal to it or mention it briefly and move on so as to not derail the main focus of an episode. But, not, but no derailing today because this episode is all about the concept of truth. So for today, three basic themes. First, what is it that truth applies to? Second, how does truth relate with subjectivity and objectivity? And last, what are the major philosophical approaches to truth? A good place to start thinking about what truth applies to is to distinguish states of affairs with beliefs. A certain state of affairs is just whatever is. That isn't subject to truth or falsity, it just is. A state of affairs is neither true or false. But at the same time, there must be some state of affairs, even if that's just a certain psychological state, in order for the idea of truth to be coherent. States of affairs or the isness of the world provides us with what is needed for the concept of truth to have content or meaning. And this is where belief enters the picture. A belief about a certain state of affairs is getting much closer to the type of thing that truth could apply to. If I look at an automobile and say, yep, that's a Volvo, we can then take that belief and evaluate whether it's true. Now, a quick caveat to add here. Most philosophers are going to say that actually beliefs themselves are not true or false. Instead, they're something like a psychological state of affair. Instead, to add another layer here, it's the mental sentences or propositions that we form because of our beliefs that are subject to being true or false. Now, I know that gets a bit nuanced, but if you're going to read or listen to contemporary philosophers who discuss truth, that's a distinction worth keeping in the back of your mind. And that distinction is, again, truth is something that is meant to apply to propositions and typically not beliefs per se. Probably the most natural way to think about the claim that a proposition is true is to think that the proposition is correct or accurate or corresponds with the reality of some state of affairs. And that leads to the most popular and major view about truth, the correspondence theory of truth. At core, it's pretty simple uh, to grasp. And here's the basic idea. Truth is that, again, normally a proposition, which corresponds or properly matches with some state of affairs in the world. If I state the proposition, that's the Volvo, and the object I'm pointing to corresponds with a Volvo-ness state of affairs in the world, then I've said something true. This is a theory of truth that the vast majority of people endorse. The view has a lot of intuitive appeal for many, 
but it also has elements that can be questioned. First, the correspondence theory of truth assumes or grants that if truth can be had at all, then there is an external world separate from our own subjective mind that our beliefs or propositions can correspond with. No doubt that could absolutely be the case, but it's also a notoriously difficult thing to demonstrate. And so many who accept or endorse a correspondence theory of truth just state as assumption an external world with states of affairs capable of corresponding to propositions formed from our beliefs. Again, fair assumption, but it's often just that, an assumption. And there's also a deeper issue here. If truth depends upon a correspondence between propositions I have formed as a subject and some objective state of affairs external to my subjectivity, then I would have no method of being able to demonstrate the truth of the external world needed for that correspondence to happen without involving, in a circular way, that very same correspondence. So it's not just that an assumption is being made here about the external world and its existence. It's that the assumption has to be made because correspondence theory couldn't demonstrate the truth of an external world in any non-circular way. Now, this isn't necessarily a fatal problem for the correspondence theory of truth. It just means that for the view to work, you need to make some pretty big assumptions that you won't be able to demonstrate as true using this theory of truth itself. Another theory of truth often offered is a coherence theory of truth. Now, like the name suggests, this theory maintains that truth is the result of coherence among the beliefs, or again, propositions born from belief, that a person holds. Under this approach, truth isn't about whether your beliefs correspond to some objective state of affairs, but instead whether your beliefs cohere with one another. Coherence theories of truth typically consider beliefs as part of coherent wholes or sets that result in truth, rather than as singular standalone beliefs that are subject to truth in a piecemeal fashion. The primary benefit of a coherence approach to truth is that it totally bypasses that pesky problem of assuming or trying to demonstrate the existence of some objective state of affairs needed for correspondence views. But as often happens in philosophy, getting around one problem uh, sometimes just leads you to bigger ones. <laughs> The first obvious sort of problem here is whether correspondence has much to do, I'm sorry, whether coherence has much to do with truth at all. Couldn't a bunch or set of false beliefs have the quality of coherence and just not be true? It's really easy here to beg the question against someone who supports coherence theory. It's obvious that someone can believe a number of things that are coherent and internally consistent, but just not match or correspond with a fair assessment of an objective state of affairs. This happens in science all the time. Scientists working in good faith and with the best available data believe things that are discovered to have that, that are later discovered to be false when new data becomes available. Those science those scientists could have been justified in thinking that old coherent set of beliefs was true, but they later see they were wrong. 
we can just have coherent beliefs that are inaccurate. And you can't get truth from a bunch of coherence when they lead to inaccurate beliefs or are inaccurate beliefs. But that objection isn't entirely fair to coherence theory because it begs the question by assuming that there is some objective state of affairs to measure beliefs against that would make them wrong or inaccurate. But that is exactly the position the defender of coherence theory denies. A more interesting method of objection here would be to press a bit on the belief that coherence is the bearer of truth. It's obviously a belief that the supporter of coherence theory has and thinks is true. Okay, is there an objective state of affairs which corresponds to the belief which makes it true? Nope, not for the defender of coherence theory, because the view would just then turn into a correspondence approach. And here it gets quite tricky trying to figure out how the belief that coherence is the bearer of truth could have grounding or even origin without invoking some correspondence with an objective state of affairs. And that's exactly what coherence theory can't do. Coherence theory also has an interesting, and for some, problematic implication that completely contradictory propositions could both be true depending upon who formed the propositions. Here's how that can work. Say I have a completely coherent and consistent set of beliefs that imply the further belief that God exists. So I add the belief or proposition, God exists, to my belief box as it coheres nicely with my other beliefs. But that's just for me and my subjective set of beliefs. Say you have a completely coherent and consistent set of beliefs that imply God does not exist. So you add God does not exist to your belief box. So if we ask whether the proposition, does God exist, is that true or false, we are forced to say, well, it is for me, but not for you. And of course, vice versa with the proposition that God does not exist. Truth will always be subject here to the subjective evaluation of coherence. And so, unless you have a lot of people who believe exactly the same things, the view rules out universal truth or anything approaching it. The last major theory of truth that I'll take a look at today is the pragmatic approach to truth. These approaches look at the relationship between belief and some pragmatically minded feature of the world to assess whether a proposition is true. This view isn't concerned specifically with whether a belief corresponds with some objective state of affairs or is part of a set of beliefs that cohere with one another. Instead, the focus here is whether the proposition is consistent with some pragmatic goal held by a person or more often community of people. The American pragmatist of the late 19th and early 20th century, specifically Pierce, James, and Dewey, were the innovators and primary defenders of this way to think about truth. All three philosophers had different approaches, but the commonality between them is stated very, very clearly by James in his 1907 book, Pragmatism, A New Name for Some Old Ways of Thinking. And he says this, 
You can either say of it then, I'm sorry, <laughs> let me say this again. You can say of it then either that it's useful because it is true or that it's true because it is useful. Both these phrases mean exactly the same thing. Just like any philosophical position, things can get nuanced for the pragmatist approach to truth. But this idea from James captures the pragmatist position towards truth in quite clear and simple terms. Truth results when scientific methods or other activities solve problems and address human concerns. Generally speaking, if something is not relevant or important to us, then it's not salient or apparent to us either and would evade any designation or concern with this notion of truth. Truth viewed in this light is like a switch that gets turned on or off only after we have a pragmatic reason to enter the room. It doesn't exist as some free-floating thing detached from the pragmatic considerations of people. Well, that's the basic breakdown of the major philosophical approaches to truth. Join me again in a week for another episode of The Egg Timer, and until then, wishing you good philosophical vibes.